0: Let's actually develop a CRISPR that can help reduce patient suffering, because frankly, in the end, patient suffering has to count for something. You're listening to For the Love of Health, a podcast about delivering care and creating health brought to you by Christiana Care. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, everyone.
1: I'm Michael Chesney.
2: And I'm Megan McGurman. Welcome to another episode of For the Love of Health, brought to you by Christiana Care.
1: Major technological advancements in recent years have given scientists the ability to edit genes.
2: And that has the potential to transform so many areas of medicine. Here at Christiana Care, that cutting-edge work is happening at the appropriately named Gene Editing Institute. It is an appropriate
1: name. Here to talk today with us about GEI's work and the unique approach it takes to gene editing research is Eric Kamesh, Executive Director and Chief Scientific Officer at Christiana Care's Gene Editing Institute. Eric, thank you so much for joining us.
0: All right. Thank you. It's great to be here.
2: Eric, can we start with just the simple explanation of gene editing and how it works?
0: We think about gene editing really as being a uh, genetic spell checker. And that can mean anything from correcting misspelled words or genes uh, to uh, changing the order of words in a sentence. So if you think about the chromosome, you know, as a sentence and each of the words in the sentence is a gene... There are certain words that on editing you would remove or change or something, or there would be misspellings in specific uh, words. So as a genetic spell checker, uh, we now have the capability to utilize uh, these molecular tools, which are quite amazing. And, of course, CRISPR has changed the world. It's, it's our favorite tool, and it works really efficiently to um, correct the spelling of a misspelled word and therefore a, you know an, an inappropriate gene or even in, in cases to delete a specific word or gene that's causing a problem in a disease. What is CRISPR? It's an interesting discovery. This was a sequence of DNA that was found in a bacteria that ferment milk. And these were dairy microbiologists in the Netherlands who were sequencing the genomes of these bacteria to make them work more efficiently to make cheese and cottage cheese and stuff. And they noticed these really weird repeated sequences, like repeated words in a sentence, right? And um, it turned out that they were specifically remnants of an, of an event when a virus infects the bacterial cells. The bacterial cell amazingly has this ability to fight it off. CRISPR carries out that destruction. Um, it went along as a really quiet field for many years until... In about 2012, Jennifer Doudna and Emmanuel Charpentier recognized that that could be used in human cells. So they took it out of bacterial cells, manipulated it a little bit, and produced the CRISPR that we all know and love now. So a fascinating story about how science really works. People in the Netherlands working on fermentating cheese, <laughs> and now suddenly it's the greatest molecular tool that we're able to use. And Doudna and Charpentier won the Nobel Prize. So it ignited the field by 2012. Kind of everything started.
2: So what does gene editing look like today?
0: What it looks like today is that the opportunities for us to transform it in a the therapy side uh, is uh, is astonishing. To alleviate resistance to cancer therapy because the tumor cell figures it out and stops uh, responding to it. And so unless you get to the core of the problem, you will always just be adding drug after drug after drug. The idea has been that we might be able to use this genetic tool to... Uh, pre-program the cell.
1: Eric, what has CRISPR allowed for? What is allowed to happen over the past decade plus?
0: Let's say that you have a particular drug for diabetes. You wanna make sure that it actually helps you. The best way to do that is to disable the insulin gene or the uh, glucogen gene. For years, you'd have to kind of guess, you know, that, well, we just try this one and you get better or the mouse gets better or whatever. But now um, we are able to disable the gene that is, ca- that is affecting that process. And we now know that if the drug has no effect, then, it, then that's the gene that is causing the response. And so it's helped in drug development amazingly in that way. Before CRISPR, it took us almost eight months to do that experiment. Now we can build the vector in a couple of days and probably do the thing in a month and a half. So it's reduced the time of drug development dramatically because we can re-engineer the genetic targets much more efficiently.
2: Eric, what are the current goals for gene editing, and who else in the United States is doing this right now?
0: I think there are a a number of people who have uh, been convinced that we can modify the genome of a plant, a corn, sorghum, to enable the corn to grow more robustly, survive drought. in third world countries where wheat or corn is absolutely required, if you get a pest that goes through there and wipes it out, they, they starve. So I think that's one um, to genetic engineering and drug development, you know, in the end it's about human therapy, from sickle cell disease, cystic, reggliar, or a form of cancer, that's kind of where, where the, the field is kind of heading. I would say about 15 to 20 years ago. Um, there were a few university-based laboratories that were working on gene editing. Probably in the early 2000s, suddenly a few companies started to wander into the space. And after the emergence of CRISPR in about 2012, 2013 now, it is both medical centers, university-based research, and now fully engaged companies that do only gene editing uh, to develop new therapies.
1: So that makes Christiana Cares Gene Editing Institute... An outlier, the only institute of its kind at a community-based health system. How does your team's work differ from what might be happening at a university, at a major medical research facility?
0: I think it's kind of where you grow up. To really understand how to translate or transform the um, kind of the molecular medicine aspects of gene editing into patients, you need to be engaged in, in a patient front you know situation. So um, colleagues of mine at Penn Harvard, you know Stanford, their main direction is to make the next best CRISPR, you know, get the next best pa- uh, patent. Our approach is a little bit less focused on the technology development and more on the patient. Christiana is about patient first focus, whether it's understanding you know how the patient feels or being able to react to patient concerns. When we started to uh, expand the Gene Editing Institute, what do we work on? Well, we could have gone to technology development, and in fact, we do. We just have broken through with a new form of gene editing, so I want to give credit to all the people that work on that in my lab. But um, we spent time with patients, nurse navigators, and oncologists. You know, what does the patient really need? The answer was just reduce the amount of pain we, we get from traditional or standard of care therapy. And so we developed our approach more, just not in, let's develop the the next best CRISPR, but let's actually develop a CRISPR that can help reduce patient suffering. Because frankly, in the end, patient suffering has to count for something.
1: What's this led to? What have been some of the successes that you've seen that you might maybe not otherwise have seen if you were taking kind of the standard approach
0: in the field? When we started to think about how can we use that knowledge, it wasn't just about curing sickle cell disease or curing cystic fibrosis because those are really long aims. We developed our entire research mission based on reducing the amount of traditional care that cancer patients have to take. Large majority of cancer patients never finish their chemotherapy treatment protocol. They can't take it. There's an argument, and I actually kind of believe this, we probably have enough drugs (laughs) to treat cancer, but they're so toxic to patients uh, that if we could just reduce the amount of time or the amount they have to take, the patients would get a lot better and probably live a lot longer. Strangely enough, your resistance to standard of care or resistance to responding to cancer therapy is a genetic problem. And so if we can disable the genes that are blocking that from working by using CRISPR, which is now the most efficient way to do that, to disable the gene by destroying it, um, then we can allow the standard of care to work better and at lower amounts. That paradigm is a brand new cancer paradigm that is now beginning to gain traction. And it started in the Graham Center at Christiana Care.
2: What does the future look like if more and more people are thinking about it that way?
0: University of California, San Francisco, has just developed a similar strategy for glioma where they're knocking out a gene by direct injection into a tumor. So we're starting to see these things pop up in a lot of other indications. Let's take Vertex, right? First approved drug, CRISPR drug in history, not just clinical trial that can be used out for sickle cell disease. They do the same approach we do. So you're starting to see the use of CRISPR to destroy a function that's causing an adverse effect in patients. And to me, That's absolutely the right way to go.
1: One of the things that you've really made sure the Gene Editing Institute is all in on as well is focusing on underrepresented populations and how they're impacted by and how they interact with gene editing. Can you talk to us about that?
0: This is a lesson that I learned coming to Christiana Care. In, In many cases, these technologies never reach minority groups, so... Maybe now is the time when we have a new technology that we don't have to go backwards. We can actually incorporate everybody into it. And some of that has to do with just making sure that we demystify um, this kind of therapy. It's not a stretch to say that many underrepresented communities, populations of color, minority groups uh, have not had a good <laughs> uh, experience with innovative technologies that come to them and are thrown on them while we go out and talk to groups all the time. I didn't think that was enough. So we created um, a, uh, an educational module in which we felt maybe the best way to demystify this is to use students, younger people, to get them thinking about that these innovative technologies of which gene editing is one, is actually not something to be afraid of but to embrace. And so we created a learning space called the Learning Lab where we bring in high school students from around the state to actually do a hands-on experience in gene editing. And we've had such nice response on that. We'll be up to probably 1,500 to 1,600 people, uh, students this year. Our achievement is to reach those people because they sometimes don't have that opportunity. So we hope that their experience and their understanding they will then act as ambassadors for us in their communities because they're much more effective than someone who looks like me going in there. And maybe that will encourage uh, minority groups to participate more in clinical trials in general.
2: So we're certainly interested in having the Learning Lab team on a podcast episode as well. They're doing incredible work. A few questions ago, we talked about kind of what the future could look like with this patient-centered approach. Can you Give us a little bit into the future of just gene editing as a whole.
0: I believe there are about 800 clinical trials uh, ready to be reviewed and approved. We are one of them uh, in the queue at the FDA. And um, I think the future is that we will develop genetic medicines for inherited diseases and cancer. The future is about therapy. Um, there's no doubt. The things that do work on drug development and uh you know, the plants and the agriculture, that doesn't require FDA approval in most cases. So that stuff is already racing away. Um, I, I want to be selfish here and say, I hope the future is what Christiana does. And that is that patient first gene editing approaches. There are many failures in the gene therapy space. We had a lot of promises, uh, particularly from major universities that were curing cystic fibrosis using a different form of gene therapy. And those have pretty much gone away and they started about 20 years ago. I think that if we think about the patient first and tailor the precision medicine, uh, using gene editing to help them overcome the suffering they have, I think that is the long-term future. And I'm, I'm really delighted that I learned you know, from this health system that think about the patient first and then fill your technology back in. I think that's that's hopefully where the future is going. And as I said, when we go to meetings, there's a lot of attention about what's going on with GEI. I fortunately have an incredibly great staff of people who attend all meetings, and they're usually... Um, pretty well uh, crowded at, at their talks or their posters because of this this paradigm of thinking first But how can we help patients use drugs that are already on the market. The regulators, this is all new for them too, right? This is all brand new stuff. Uh, the data are spectacular from our lab and from others and other indications. Um, and so now that the original, the first drug is approved and done, we can line up because we now know what they want. Before that happened, we weren't quite sure what they wanted, <laughs> what, the, what the agencies wanted, but now it should be a steady stream of approval. So I could see, at least for sickle cell, cystic fibrosis, and hopefully our own stuff, being available at cancer centers and inherited disease uh, treatment centers across the country in five years, and then it's just exponential. Um, Pfizer, Moderna is heavily into gene editing for inherited diseases. So um, it's great to see the big pharma companies jumping in. They waited a long time. They definitely like to see to make sure it's working, and that's fair. And uh, but now that they're there, and again circling back to you know how we see us coming forward, we'd like to move things into the into the clinical trial, but then partner with someone you know who is more experienced in running thousand people clinical trials, pretty hard to do in, in, in a small community uh, cancer center. But uh, we will be the source of the drug and, and that's really the key.
2: Eric, thank you so much for your Pleasure. time today. We look forward to following GEI through all of your research.
0: Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
2: And we'll have more information about Christiana Care's Gene Editing Institute in our show notes for this episode at christianacare.org podcast.
1: Don't forget to subscribe to For the Love of Health on your favorite podcast app and follow Christiana Care on your favorite social media platform.
2: We'll be back in two weeks with another great conversation. Until then, thanks for joining us for, for the, the love, love of health. health.